Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. A month from today, the annual Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival returns to Doswell, Virginia, just north of Richmond, our capital, and about two hours south of Washington, D.C. proper for another spectacular event. And who better to bring on to talk about the festival than festival director Bo Beasley, good friend of the program. Bo is also going to talk about some of his reporting work. He likes to write about river access and kind of the confluence of private property and public access. It's kind of a big issue here in Virginia, and we had him spot off on that. And he also talked about a forthcoming book about fishing with veterans that is going to make its debut in the spring in, I believe, May 2023, in addition to the festival. And he will preview some of the new features coming to the Fly Fishing and Wine Festival this year. You don't want to miss it. It is taking place from January 14th to 15th, 2023, at the Meadow Event Park, also home to the State Fair of Virginia. Very hard to miss that place. It is right next to King's Dominion. If you're familiar with driving on 95 for all of you who are local to the area where I live, because I'm based out of the D.C. metro area. And he's also going to preview some new features, including the debut of the Women's Symposium. Let's hear from Bo Beasley directly on what you can expect and what he's been up to. We're delighted to be rejoined by Bo Beasley, director of the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival and Texas Fly Fishing and Brewfest or a beer festival rather. And he is going to give us several updates before he talks about the new and improved fly fishing festival kind of setup for next year's event in Doswell, Virginia. He's also going to talk about river access. He focuses chiefly on this and he has a brand new book called healing waters, veteran stories of recovery in their own words. So Bo, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Well, thank you for having me, Gabby. I appreciate the invitation. Always good to speak with you. Yes. So talk more about your work in river access. This is kind of, uh, I wouldn't call it a gray area, but a lot of anglers and people who follow public policy may not know that there are issues regarding river access. I have no doubt it has to do with public public access and private property rights. I know there's kind of a lot of overlap there. So explain what update you have and why you take such a big focus on this issue. Okay. Um, as your listeners may or may not know, there are all kinds of access issues uh, going on across the country. Some of them involve, or a lot of them involve, legal cases, and they normally have a couple of things in common. Um, normally, it is an angler is fishing in what he or she believes is public water, 
and they are doing it legally with a uh, fishing license from the state agency for the host state that they're in. Uh, they are generally approached by a landowner that tells them they're trespassing or they see a sign posted telling them that, you know, in places that they've normally gone before, that it's now illegal uh, to go where they have fished before. I got involved um, in this issue several years ago when I was contacted by an angler uh, along the Jackson River in Virginia who contacted me and said, please help me. Um, I'm being sued for fishing in public water, which sounded rather odd to me. Uh, and I investigated it and, and wrote about the issue uh, for a number of years. And in that particular case, an angler was fishing uh, on the Jackson River in an area the state of Virginia said was legal for him to go. The game department told him repeatedly that he could go there, that as long as he had a license, he was he was able to go there. The landowner uh, had posted the property and had warned the angler multiple times and uh, called the angler out. Um, and he, the angler didn't have any reason to believe he was breaking the law. And uh, law enforcement officers were summoned a deputy in this case. And the deputy did not issue him a warning or, or he did ask him to leave, but he didn't issue him a ticket because he thought the issue was kind of uh, murky and did not want to try to file criminal charges. Eventually, the landowner uh, moved forward with civil action, and that's when I got involved and started investigating. And the landowner, as in the case that I've written about uh, in New York that, that came out recently uh, in Fly Fisherman, uh, went back to an old English land grant. And the bottom line was in the state of Virginia, the uh, it went through years of litigation. The state of Virginia elected not to get involved and to give you a reader digest version. In the end, there were three parties in the suit, the landowner, the angler, and ostensibly the state of Virginia. The judge said to the landowner, do you own this property? And he said, well, I believe I do. Here's my chain of title going all the way back to the original land grant. And then he asked the angler, angler, do you believe you own the property? No. The angler said, I don't believe I own the property. I'm fishing here because the state of Virginia says that they own the property. And since it's held in public trust, I'm not trespassing because I'm walking on the river bottom. The state of Virginia did not show up to defend its property rights. As a result, the judge issued a ruling in the Jackson River case, and he said the landowner had color of title. And what that means is the judge, uh, the court didn't say absolutely you own it, but he did say you own it more than the angler does. And since the angler did not claim to own it and the state of Virginia did not show up to defend its ownership rights, the judge said, well, I'm going to give color of title to the angler. And uh, the angler agreed not to come back. There weren't any other findings, but now this area is recognized as a, as a crown grant area that anglers in Virginia need to avoid unless they have the property owner's permission to be there. The case that I wrote about, and I was the only, I'm fortunate enough to get an interview with the landowner. I was the only outdoor writer to ever get a, an interview with the landowner that I know of. 
Um, and he read my work for over two years before he approached me and said, you appear to be objective. Do you want my side of the story? And that's how I got involved in writing about access. Since then, I've written about the um, uh, South Holston in Tennessee. And I recently had an article that came out in the uh, May, uh, April, May issue of Fly Fisherman. Ross Purnell, the editor there, gave me uh, quite amount of uh, words to write about a contentious is issue on the East Branch of the Delaware. In that case, and that was in the April issue of, of Fly Fisherman, and I encourage people to, uh, to read the article and to go back and get the issue because a lot of magazines won't take these kinds of articles because they're complicated. And they just, pardon the expression, they, they, they want to write feel-good articles, which is what they do, right? I mean, the articles that fly fishing magazines write about deal with fly fishing. But access is becoming such an important uh, issue that people across the country now uh, are reaching out to me and other writers to have them write about these issues in New York, it dealt with the East Branch of the Delaware. The Delaware has two branches, East Branch and West Branch. This is the East Branch, which I believe comes out of Cannonsville Lake. And uh, there was a homeowners association called the Long Flats Homeowners Association. They put up a sign at the end of a public fishing rights area. Now in New York, public fishing rights are purchased by the state they get an easement, and normally these are 30 feet wide and can be anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred feet to 100 yards long and 30 feet wide, and they don't allow for any overnight camping. The only thing that they're allowed to do is to tread on these easements in order to have access to the river and fish uh, along the bank or off the bank. In this particular case, anglers who had read my previous work uh, on the South Holston asked me to investigate the issue in New York because they couldn't get a straight answer out of the uh, New York Department of Environmental Conservation about whether it was public property or not. Uh, the East Branch in this particular section is a navigable river, which means it carries a federal rating of commercial use, which 99 times out of 100 means the state uh, owns the bottom or it, uh, it reverts to the uh, to the state through the public trust doctrine and the anglers feel that when they're walking on this riverbed they're on public property um and i went i looked at it i drove all the way up to new york looked at the sign it seemed very convincing it claimed uh to have a chain of title to the haddenberg patent which uh which was a civil war i believe a major in the in, excuse me in the revolutionary war fought with George Washington, and the landowners asserted that they had chain of title back to this particular land grant. Um, I searched the records. I, I spoke to the landowner, and, and first he told me that he owned to the center of the river because um, a surveyor once told him that worked for DEC. Then he told me he also had a claim because the local TU chapter president recognized his ownership. Um, then he referred to uh, a New York case also as a third reason, Douglas versus Bakkenham. I'm probably mispronouncing that. And it uh, referred to the Salmon River, it's normally known as the Douglaston case. And he said his case was just like that one 
So he owned the river bottom. And then his last case, his last claim was he had a deed that described the river bottom and clearly showed that he owned the river bottom and that his property line went to the center. Now, it's, it's important to remember that when we're talking about rivers, most riparian landowners by default own to the center or the thread. So if you read something that says the thread of the river, you need to think of that like, you know, the, the, uh, the dividing line for a road, right? It's more or less the center. And as the river turns either right or left, obviously the center of the river turns to the left or right. And the riparian landowners on a non-navigable river by default almost always own to the center. Um, I did the research and whether a surveyor told the landowner he owned to the center or not is irrelevant because a, a state employee cannot just grant property rights. So that was irrelevant. The second case was the TU president saying that he recognized it. I, I could not verify that because the TU president was deceased. I have no reason to doubt the landowner if he said that that's what the gentleman said, then he probably did. But again, that, that doesn't carry any legal weight. Um, the third reason of his claim being much like the Douglason was that, you know, his he had a similar claim. The problem is you can't just say, well, my case is like that person's case without actually going to court. It's never been to court. Also, in the Douglaston case, the deed specifically said that the state did not retain the fishing rights. So when the landowner in New York who bought the property originally from the state of New York, the fishing rights conveyed. There was nothing in the deed that said that the state had retained its fishing rights. So even though it was a navigable river in this case, in the Douglas case, Douglaston case, that the uh, landowner was completely right he did own the fishing rights and, and anglers could not tread on the river bottom, nor could they anchor up. And then the fourth case, uh, um, so that didn't apply to the case on the East Branch of the Delaware. And the last assertion was that it was in his deed. Um, I went to the courthouse, I pulled the records, and what he was referring to is a quit claim that he filed uh, with himself um, and basically says he owns to the center of the river. The problem with that assertion, as I understand it, and I'm not an attorney, I don't pretend to be an attorney, and I don't give legal advice, um, his original deed clearly said edge or shoreline of the river. It made no mention to the center of the river at all. So if the landowner now is claiming to have the same rights as the previous owner, which is common, right? That's why you have title insurance. If you're going to buy something, if I'm going to buy a piece of property from you, Gabby, I have to make sure that you legally own it. And then if you do, and we agree on the terms, then I have the same rights that you would have had. Well, this original deed made no mention of the center of the river, made no mention of the bed of the river. So whatever he bought, his deed didn't mention any of that originally. So this was something he added after the purchase. I've contacted uh, New York DEC and I specifically questioned them about the sign because the signs 
uh, are very official looking and they use the name New York Department of Environmental Conservation and they tell anglers not to contact the landowners, to contact DEC, which seems very, very official. I did that and DEC said, New York DEC said they did not put the signs up and it doesn't have any legal bearing. Um, I don't know why New York DEC hasn't requested that the signs come down, but I can't find any record that they have. I know it's caused some tremendous confusion. Um, and when I when my article came out, it caused quite a stir. And the commissioner, as my understanding, asked his legal department to look into it. So they now, because of my article, are are eventually going to make some kind of determination. Um, I don't know what that's going to be. And when I contact DEC, they don't give me an answer. They more or less kind of ignore me. They don't answer my emails. They don't answer my phone calls. And all I have been told is that they're looking into it. But they don't give you a time as to when they're going to be done. So I, it seems to me like it's just kind of a stall tactic. I know that sounds harsh. I, I don't know. I want to give New York DEC the benefit of the doubt, and I'm continuing to do research. But the more research I have done and the more documentation I've uncovered in court cases that I've looked at, they have to take action on this. But so far, they haven't done anything. And um, I guess we'll find out if the anglers in New York that fish on the Delaware East Branch are going to uh, ask the New York DEC to investigate things and find out what's really accurate. Because when people are confused, when they don't know what to do, but they see a sign that says no trespassing, the overwhelming majority of anglers just turn around and walk away. But, and it's clear that nobody should walk on upland property. I wanna be very clear. The case that I'm dealing with uh, on the East Branch deals with the riverbed itself. I'm not talking about upland property. If you get out of the river and you walk on dry land, you are absolutely trespassing unless you have the landowner's permission or unless you are on a public fishing rights section. I would never, ever, under any circumstances, encourage anyone to trespass. And I think we as anglers do ourselves a great disservice uh, by, by trespassing either intentionally um, or by accident. And I would encourage them uh, or, or every one of your listeners to, to follow the game laws and to follow the local statutes. But what makes it exasperating for the anglers in New York, the people that are buying fishing licenses there is if I'm buying a fishing license, from the state of New York, and the state of New York says that this is their property, then why aren't they compelling some kind of action? So uh, as far as I know, the sign is still there. Anglers are still being turned away by the sign uh, from fishing on the riverbed on a navigable river in the state of New York. So we'll see what happens. But like I said, um, I'm continuing my research and I'll 
feel reasonably certain I'll be writing about this again because I'm getting so many requests. Last weekend, I was at a Project Healing Waters event and I wasn't there five minutes before I had people approaching me saying, can you please give me an update? I read your article in Fly Fisherman, what's the deal in, in New York? Um, and also, I will mention on your program, I'm also now investigating claims on the Flint River in Georgia. And there's uh, also a river bottom claim there uh, by a private landowner. And uh, I'm investigating that and we'll be writing about that as well. So I'm sorry, pretty long-winded answer to your question, but this is um, a complicated issue and people need to understand that wherever they come from, the, the mistake that most anglers make is like I'm from Virginia and I pretty much know Virginia law. Well, when I go to North Carolina, that's irrelevant. Or if I go to Montana or North Dakota, the laws in Virginia don't apply. So anglers often make mistake that wherever they're from is the same law of the state that they're visiting. And that's not the case. That's why you need to uh, contact the local authorities and deal with the game department to find out what the regulations are so you can obey the law. It's okay to expound on that. It's a complicated issue, but very important. But I have no doubt uh, we'll briefly get along or we'll briefly cover uh, the update for your new book and then obviously the festival. So what is happening with this new book? I think in the synopsis you sent me, it's going to come out in a couple years or maybe it's next no, year. Actually, uh, uh, that was a typo. A couple of months. Oh, a couple um, of months. Okay. I was like 2025. I was like, no, it has to no, be 2023. No, no, no. No, so what is the new book about, Bo? Yeah, it'll be the spring of 2023. Um, I've spent about eight, almost nine years off and on working on this book. I'm very, very excited about it. Um, it covers about 35 different veterans and volunteers with Project Healing Waters, which is a national nonprofit that helps injured and wounded veterans deal with uh, some of their difficulties in recovery through fly fishing. And uh, for uh, eight or nine years, I have shadowed members of Project Healing Waters in Fort Belvoir and in Quantico and have been able uh, and visited several other programs all over the country and met multiple veterans. Um, and I was so compelled by what I heard um, that I, I just had to write about it. I was approached by a Vietnam veteran that knew me. He'd illustrated one of my previous books. Uh, his name is Alan Folger. And uh, he said, Bo, you got to write about this. And at first I didn't want to, um, because I, I, let's be honest, when you're writing a guidebook, it's pretty straightforward. You know, go here, park here, use these kind of flies. Here's the closest fly shop. Here's some great guides. Here's the flies you should use in the seasons. That's pretty straightforward. Um, and my, my books, Fly Fish in Virginia and Fly Fish in the Mid-Atlantic have sold pretty well, actually. But writing a book about people is totally different. And uh, I spent a lot, thousands and thousands of hours with these veterans and getting to know them, uh, men, women, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, people in the Coast Guard. And I write about their individual stories. And none of this is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no artistic license here. This is their story in their own words. I had hundreds of hours of audio 
tape that I listened to. I interviewed them, listened to the interview, wrote the narratives. Then I sent the narratives to each veteran and they approved what I wrote ahead of time that's going to be coming out. And um, it's really, it's gripping stuff. And we as Americans uh, have little concept of what it cost our veterans, uh, the men and women who serve this country to keep us safe. And uh, I spent time with multiple paratroopers, combat medics, uh, sailors, uh, marine snipers, you name it. And um, it will focus on these individuals and their struggles of how they got hurt and how fly fishing has helped them and how Project Healing Waters, which is a phenomenal organization, uh, is there for them and provides fly fishing gear at no cost. They provide all kinds of national outings. But probably what's more important is a lot of them have weekly meetings and uh, at Fort Belvoir, they generally meet, uh, and that program is headed up by Bob Gartner. Uh, he's the program lead there, and Bruce Gillies, the, the associate uh, program lead. They meet at the USO building in Fort Belvoir, and in Quantico, I think they also move, uh, they also use the USO building there. Uh, for years, the program lead was uh, Marty Laxberger, retired top sergeant with 20 years, a combat Marine in the Marine Corps. And he helped get that program off the ground. And now the program lead is Jim Benzinger, also a Marine. And I believe the assistant program lead is uh, Travis Vandenberg, also a Marine. So it's one thing when you walk up to a, a soldier or a sailor and you say, hey, thank you for your service, which we should do. It's totally different when an injured member from the military comes back and um, perhaps they sustained a significant injury. A lot of them are life-threatening and they come back to the States and they're no longer in the military. They're no longer a part of an elite fighting force. They're, they're dramatically injured and they're not a part of a team anymore. And they literally, I've talked to scores of them who one moment were on the battlefield and the next time thing they know when they open their eyes, they're at a hospital at Walter Reed in the in the United States, or they're in Ramsfield, you know, in Germany, and they're missing an arm, or they're missing an eye, or they're missing a leg. And one minute they're on the battlefield with their buddies, and the next minute they're sidelined. And it's heartbreaking. But I have watched just amazing work done through Project Healing Waters, and it's not a quick fix thing. I, I want to um, dispel a myth, probably the most common myth or misconception about Project Healing Waters is, oh, it's, it's just for battlefield injuries. That's not true. They take any veteran, uh, and I've been on events with, with, with uh, Vietnam veterans, so it doesn't have to be a combat injury. Plenty of people that are going to be in my book were, were injured in motorcycle accidents or uh, in one case, uh, an airman got bitten by a snake and he lost his arm. And that obviously terminated his, his career. So it doesn't have to be just battlefield injuries. And it's not just about taking people fly fishing. To be honest, 
Project Healing Waters is about veterans helping other veterans. And fly fishing is just a catalyst. It's just an opportunity for them to get together because, you know, Gabby, you're a fly angler. When you're out on the water and you're concentrating on that rising trout or you're floating down uh, in a raft and you're throwing poppers underneath tree branches looking for, for uh, you know, smallmouth bass or, or you're drifting a wet fly for steelhead or salmon, you don't think about anything else. And being on the water around other people that understand who you are and where you've come from makes all the difference in the world. And they realize that they're not alone, that they're not isolated, that people still love them, they still respect them, and they have a lot to contribute. And um, I think people are going to be surprised. Uh, Some of the narratives are pretty raw, frankly. Um, More than once, I broke down while I was writing about these different veterans and the things that they went through. And I'm so proud to know these men and women, whether it's Lally Laxberg out in San Antonio, who's in the National Guard and currently serving in the National Guard, Keith Gilbert, who was a paratrooper uh, who who lives um, in Georgia, Um, Andrew Laffey, who was a sailor um, and was injured on board the USS San Jacinto, who's, who's in New Jersey, or my good friend, uh, Duke Davis, who's a Marine sniper, um, who who runs Tango Down Fishing in Florida, or my close personal friend, Chris Thompson, who also is a, um, a former Marine and um, would, had his, got his back injured uh, during training. Um, these guys live amazing lives, and we don't know the sacrifices um, – that they have they have been through. I I think of um, my friend uh, Jessica Callahan, uh, who uh, was also in the Navy and was injured during a training event, and uh, whose back pain is so severe they have to put implants in. And she jokes that you know she sets off the alarm when she goes to the airport because of the the stimulator that she has that, that helps her deal with her back pain. Um, and just, you know, sometimes just great heartwarming volunteers that aren't service people, but but they care. Uh, I think of my friend Carol Katz out in, in California with her um, Long Beach program, uh, who's helped people in the past. Um, and Tamar Franklin in New Jersey, who's, who's a former volunteer and a former program lead. There are men and women all over this country who want to help veterans and, you know, are looking for an opportunity. And when they see that there's an opportunity to take somebody fly fishing, they do. So the book will come out in March and I encourage people to go get it. The proceeds will be going to Project Healing Waters. Wonderful. And what is this update with the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival while I still have you, Bo, because Zoom is going to kick me out in 10 minutes. So briefly yeah. condense it. And uh, give sure. people a, a taste of what to expect so they have to come. We don't want to give away all the details. Sure. Well, they can get all of the latest by going to our festival website, www.vaflyfishingfestival.org. Uh, it's January 14th and 15th, which is in Doswell, Virginia, which is right beside King's Dominion. 
It's all inside. So even if the weather's bad, we're still nice and warm on the inside. Uh, there'll be about 90 vendors there, everything from rod makers to uh, people that uh, own lodges or guide services. There'll be major manufacturers there and people can come and talk fly fishing and talk to guides and take classes. Um, some of our speakers this year is my friend Tom Rosenbauer will be there giving classes. So will George Daniel, Wanda Taylor, uh, Alan Roop and Jim Benzinger will both be doing fly time classes and Ian and Charity Rudder will be there this year. So one of the exciting things that we're doing new this year is um, we're hosting a Beyond the Cast Women's Symposium. And this is a two-day event where uh, primarily the instructors are women, all the students will be women, and they're going to get intermediate to advanced classes taught by experts on everything from how to pick out waders and wade, uh, the game department, the game department, uh, Virginia Game Department is partnering with us and providing game wardens to teach classes on how to appropriately interact with wildlife. Celia Johnson will be giving uh, classes on how to fish from a kayak. Um, so there'll be all kinds of interesting things just for these women taught by women instructors in cooperation with Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation's Take Me Fishing program. Um, uh, RBFF and Take Me Fishing are very, very serious about uh, reaching out to women and those in our underserved uh, minority communities that want to get more involved in the outdoors. And I would just encourage people to go to the website and pluck around and see what they might uh, might be interested in. And there are probably, I would say, easily 30 classes over the weekend, 40 classes over the weekend that are included in your admission fee. So if you're 21 or older, it's the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, if you notice the name, you pay $20. And if you're over 21, and we do check IDs very fastidiously, um, you the, there are about eight different wineries there and you can go around and taste wine. Uh, our good friends from Steamboat Brewery will be there with their handcrafted beers. And Orkney Springs, um, a distillery will be there with some of their fine spirits and you'll be able to taste that as well. So you can sit through a fly fishing class uh, given by a guide, or, you know, if you want to learn about local fly fishing, Colby Tro will be there talking about fly fishing in the Shenandoah. So will Matt Riley and Matt Miles and several other instructors. And you can come and get all the skinny on where to fly fish in and around Virginia and also the surrounding states. Mike Heck will be there from Pennsylvania. Gary Edwards will be talking about uh, New York. Um, so there'll be North Carolina destination. So there's there's all kinds of things to do. It's not any one thing, but a little bit of everything, whether it's fly tying or learning how to cast, taking an advanced casting class from Mac Brown or a beginner's to intermediate class with Wanda Taylor. There's all kinds of stuff to do, and it'll be a lot of fun, and you're going to be there. I'm excited about that, Gabby. I'm looking forward to some of the other ladies meeting you and, and knowing that there are all kinds of opportunities for women that want to learn how to fly fish, and they can learn at their own pace uh, and learn from people that know a lot about fly fishing and know a lot about gear like Kim Ranala and Miss Mayfly will be there talking about waders and we also have John Mazingo, who'll be there talking about personal security for women when they're out on the stream, how to keep themselves stay safe. 
and then allow all the women participants to connect with each other and, and go on outings and meet other great outdoor women, like whether it's Kiki Gavin or Pam Dunlap with Wine Women and Waiters, uh, who does a lot of her trips with our friend uh, at Harmon's Cabins, Todd Harmon. So it's a lot of fun. It's very family-friendly environment. You can bring as many children in with your family as you want, 16 and under. They're completely free. And like I said, you can go more to the website to, to learn more, but it's very informal. You go at your own pace, do as much as you want to do, learn about bamboo fly rods, learn about fly time, book a guided trip, you know, for a destination everywhere, anywhere from the Canada to the Bahamas to Brazil, and just learn about fly fishing um, at your own speed. It's a great festival. One of my favorites. I wish we could do some demos with fish. I know it's difficult to kind of bring uh, any uh, fingerlings or other live animals or wildlife into the setting, but that would be kind of a cool feature, maybe in the future if it's feasible. But Bo, briefly, where can you listed down some links? Um, I'll urge everyone to follow you on social media. You do have an Instagram account. I believe you have Twitter. I'll make sure that everyone follows the fly fishing festival account. If you can point to the book link as well, uh, we will get people to follow that. So any final thoughts on where people can connect with you, follow your reporting quickly. Sure. Uh, you can go to my website, www.bobeasley, just like my name sounds, B-E-A-U-B-E-A-S-L-E-Y.com, bobeasley.com. And you can learn more about the Texas Fly Fishing and Brew Festival, which is coming up in Mesquite, Texas. Uh, at the end of February, 25th and 26th, uh, and the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, just go to the websites, and it's based on the states where they are, www.txflyfishingfestival.org or www.vaflyfishingfestival.org. And you can just go to those websites and pluck around. And again, I, I want to thank you so much for having me Gabby and, and allowing me to talk about these access issues that are very important and especially about this book that I'm hoping is going to honor the men and women in uniform that uh, that keep us free and safe in the greatest country in the world. Um, freedom is not free. We pay for it dearly with our veterans lives and uh, they don't just serve alone. Their families are affected and I would just say if you see a veteran today Thank them. Thank them for their service and know that um, we get to enjoy our rights and liberties because they keep us safe. That's the only reason. Not out of the kindness of other people's hearts, but because men and women are standing guard 24 hours a day to ensure that we're safe. So doesn't hurt to thank them. The same thing goes for our men and women in law enforcement. And uh, in the fire department, as you know, I was a first responder, so I'm pretty partial to our friends in the police department, as well as the fire department. Matter of fact, almost all of my staff are either police officers, firefighters, paramedics, or former military. And um, again, the book, Healing Waters, Veteran Stories of Recovery in Their Own Words, will be coming out by No Nonsense Guide Books, I believe in March of 2023. And you can learn more by going to my website. You can order that book or some of the other books uh, that I've done in the past by going to my website, bobeasley.com. Gabby, thank you so much for, for having me today. I would love to come back again and maybe give you an update on some other access issues. Absolutely. 
And, and let's uh, go fishing I, sometime this season too, apart from the festival. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, I follow you. I don't, you're, you should be exhausted every time I see <laughs> you fishing or hunting somewhere else. So good for you. I'm, I'm living vicariously oh, through boy. you, by the way. I see you out West and I become quite envious. And by the <laughs> way, I really enjoy listening to your programs too. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you both so much for joining the podcast. We'll have you back anytime. We love the festival. It's one of my favorite places to go. We'll encourage listeners to book a ticket and to attend the different seminars and to also get their fish on in Virginia and the mid-Atlantic region. It's a beautiful place to fly fish and trout, uh, adventure for trout rather. So thank you all for listening to today's program. Thank you again, Bo, for coming on. Thanks, Gabby. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.